Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the Threads of Autism podcast. Today's episode is titled The Plight of the Parent. And that's all parents, by the way. It's astonishing that nothing can really prepare you for having children, no matter how many books you've read, how many nieces and nephews you have, how many classes you've attended. It's just this sort of crazy animal, hormonal instinct to procreate and ensure the survival of the human race kind of kicks in. And the next thing, you're pregnant and you go into great detail in the classes about what's happening with your baby and the womb and all the amazing development day by day, week by week. They spend weeks and weeks telling you all about childbirth and basically how to have this baby. And then that's it. It stops. You go home. I mean, the number of couples who explain that they kind of stare at this tiny little thing in a car seat and go, okay, what now? <laughs> you know, obviously there's the feeding and the sleeping and the changing nappies and things, but but nobody tells you what to do with the baby. And, and so it continues. I mean, that that is the beginning shock and that is your journey with with a child. <laughs> you have to figure it out between you and your partner or, or on your own or amongst your very close family members if, if you have that kind of help at hand. And... It's, it's pretty mind-blowing when you think about it. I remember, I mean, this is showing my age now, but I remember that huge, big store, Mothercare. Um, they had these massive stores, and, and, and I think maybe they downsized and you saw smaller ones around, but I, I, I don't even know if they exist anywhere anymore. Anyway, Mothercare was it. And you walk in there as expectant parents, and the idea that somebody would be selling you something in that store like a product that's in that store that isn't actually vitally important for your baby. It, it, it just is just no. I mean, we need everything in this shop because who would do that? Who would sell you something you don't need for having a human baby? I mean, we're going to be giving birth. We need this everything. I mean, I think I came home with a top and tail bowl, seriously, <laughs> amongst many other useless things. But that's it you are you are clueless and you believe it it's there and and this is a baby store for for having a baby you believe everything that's in front of your eyes and and you buy as much as you can afford (laughs) crazy what nobody also tells you or or I think you assume it won't happen to you is about possible complications unless they actually happen to you um, it rolls forward. Things like breastfeeding and difficulties you may have with that. Nobody tells you about it until it actually happens to you. Or maybe it just doesn't sink in. I don't I don't think it does. And it's that example that rolls over and over. Nobody, you know, you don't... It, we go into this so naively, don't we? We all think we're going to have this beautiful, cute little baby with five fingers on each hand and ten toes. And I'm not saying that that isn't what happens. It's, it is beautiful and wonderful, but there is an awful lot that they don't tell you. You know, you think about it, gosh, it me remember the shock when they started teething, like, oh, whoa, 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 you know, and there's this amazing thing called Kelpol, and, and then there's the tummy bugs and the vomiting and the <sighs> dressing a toddler and getting them out the door and starting school and homework and friendships and fights and siblings and rules, patience, discipline, no manual, no manual on those. <laughs> you roll forward to having teenagers and again, I, I, you just assume it won't be you, definitely won't happen to you, but trust me, all those stereotypes that you hear about are true and you'll be very lucky if you 
get through the teenage years and puberty with just a couple of them, but but more than likely a whole host of them. I mean, they just become, it's like a light switch. They just become unbelievable, moody, sullen, ugly. They don't fit into their bodies properly, uh, hair, skin, nails. They stop brushing their teeth. They don't pick up towels. They roll their eyes at you and pull fingers at you behind closed doors and <laughs> you, you, the next thing you know you're walking down the high street to I don't know go to the sports shop to get a gum guard for the next whatever sports season and you've got this gangly quite often taller than you thing next to you that is you suddenly realize is absolutely mortified to be in your presence you the parent repulse them you embarrass them And they would rather die than make eye contact with anyone or even speak in a shop about what they may or may not need. And the more the parent speaks, the more mortified they get. And you become this thing that just drives them and their friends around. You're not you're not meant to talk or make conversation. You know that if you're lucky comes in the late teens. (laughs) It's really a shock to deal with when you in your own mind as a parent are still, you know, deeply cool and young at heart. We now in our family are in the situation of having young adults and and an older teenager. So we are talking driver's licenses and watching your child reverse very badly out of your driveway and disappear in a car. (laughs) You kind of can't believe you've got there. And, and, you know, waking up at midday on the weekend and going, slopping downstairs and going, oh, you know, could you take me to the train station? I'm just going to go into London for the day. London, every weekend it's London. Okay, uh, (laughs) sure, what what are you going to do? Are you you going with someone? No, I'm just going to take my camera or I'm just going to go to Brick Lane and, you know, vintage second-hand shops, which, by the way, yeah, are, are more expensive than flipping Louis Vuitton these days. And it's not kind of, you know, Mickey D's on the way home. It's, 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 you know, so could you, could you just transfer me some money, please? Everything has to be done like lightning quick as well. Just, just ping the money over (laughs) for the train ticket and lunch. And, and, and then we don't have a drink in the evening because we're waiting for our human being to call us to say they're on the train and uh, we need to go and pick them up from the station or a party at 1am. That's two hour drive from your house because... That is the party that they had to go to. Yeah, yeah, gosh, parenthood. Honestly, it is a plight. (laughs) And I don't think we get enough credit. (laughs) Now I'm going to talk about adding on the layer of having an autistic child or a neurodiverse child or a child with a disability or a special educational need. And it is all of that. And so much more. And the intensity is ramped up to something that I don't think any parent could ever truly be expected to fully cope with at times on this journey. It's beyond. And we again are given no manual and no therapy. And we, I think one of the biggest difficulties is that we and maybe I'm only speaking for myself here, that we lose a lot of our own confidence as parents because we are dealing with something that nobody else is dealing with. Whether you meet another parent who is who also has an autistic child, you know, two vastly different journeys, their personalities, the, the spectrum is vast and it's it's hugely isolating. And it does sap your confidence because trying to 
tap into your child and go with your gut instinct is a very, very difficult thing to do. You, you are told by professionals, you know, what your child, what the diagnosis is. You then scramble around and deal with that the best way you can. Um, that, that in itself could be five podcast episodes. And you are forced, and I don't use that word lightly, to do certain things by the system that becomes literally a full-time admin job in itself and a deeply frustrating and emotionally draining one at that. Like other parents, they're simply children, their children reach school age and they simply go onto a website for their local authority or their council and they register their child for school, preferably in their catchment area, and they put their first, second, third choice or preference down, and that's it. When you have a child with additional educational needs, neurodiverse, autistic, dyslexic, dyspraxic, many other examples, you have to then delve down pages and pages and rabbit warren after rabbit warren of information on that website about the SEND, S-E-N-D process. You will end up needing to have your child assessed by the local authority professionals, usually meaning an educational psychologist will come to visit you at your home. You will fill out unbelievable forms about what your child cannot do compared with their peers and you will then have to wait 21 weeks, that's five months, to hear back from them. And that was pre-COVID. I'm pretty sure it's a lot longer in many councils now. And that is really them saying, oh, yes, we do agree that they actually should be assessed. Nine times out of ten in today's world, that first application will be rejected. And you will, be, you will have it thrown back at you and you will feel like, oh, oh, I'm not supposed to be doing this. Uh, we're, I'm supposed to be coping. We're supposed to be fine. Our child doesn't need this help, you know. So that's the first knock that you really need to stay firm on your feet for and believe your gut instincts and know you know your child and you will, from that day on, realize how much you're going to have to, unfortunately, fight for this. You know, that's just the first stage. Thereafter, if they do agree to cess, I can't even remember how long that next wait is. And it is then whether or not they actually agree your child does indeed need special educational needs assistance and what that is and legally agreed by in this precious document called the EHCP, Education, Health and Care Plan. And again, your assumption if you've reached that point and you haven't already had a breakdown is that, you know, this panel of experts would have discussed your child in depth and their needs and where they're at, and they, between them, will decide on the absolutely best possible school to meet your child's needs. And you will then learn from a cynic like myself that that is not really how it works. And you will not only have to continue to prove every single thing about your child and prove that they need things you will not be believed over and over and over again and that they will simply be putting your child in the most affordable option to their counsel first and then you'll have to fight step by step for every single ounce of extra assistance your child needs over and over again i'm not dissing the system here i i it is, it is well-intentioned. Every professional who works in it is well-intentioned. It's just that it is very tragically, massively inundated and hugely underfunded and has just become what it's become. For parents on this journey, they will already 
have spent some time, 18 months, a couple of years, maybe more, with deep-rooted concerns about the differences in their child. So by the time you've now reached the age four or five school starting age, I think they will have already been dealing with some concerns about their child and differences compared with their peers, how difficult maybe some of those play dates or family days out have been or lunches in restaurants, potentially more difficulties at home, discussions between the parents, putting a strain on the relationship, more concerns about the rest of the family. And you will also no doubt have been dealing with significant form, especially if it's autism we're talking about, um, of sleep deprivation. And I need to dedicate a, a whole entire podcast episode to sleep deprivation and the severity of it and the difficulty not only for the child or adult and and the parents and, and the consequences, impacts far and wide reaching. And you will have already been dealing with that, you know, compared with your friends and neighbors, perhaps, whose children at that age, now four or five, have more or less on the, on, on the whole got into a sort of routine and, and can happily do eight to ten hours sleep a night. Whereas your child is taking four hours just to get to sleep and then sleeping for maximum 46 hours thereafter before waking up again. <laughs> that, for some of us, goes on for decades. Yes, yes, yes. No, it's all good. <laughs> I think there is also an assumption out there that, well, oh, for, for families of means or who can afford it, that they, you know, what, what, why is all this moaning and groaning about this precious EHCP and this system? Just get private, just go private like, like it's Bupa or something. And there's a big misunderstanding there. Wonderfully, the law in this country is based around the fact that it is not means tested. So every child with any kind of additional educational need or disability is not means tested all those families are treated equally and and that's a wonderful wonderful fantastic thing it does however mean that if you happen to be rockefeller you can't just go and pick this amazing independent highly specialist school for your child and offer to pay them fees privately and trust me you would need to be rockefeller you don't get to do that you know, everyone is equal here and Rockefeller needs to get the EHCP as well. And even if he didn't, if something were to ever happen to Rockefeller, who would then look after that child and who would meet that child's needs? They would fall into the state system and now they're not in it because they don't have this EHCP. And without that EHCP, any family doesn't receive the benefits for that child that they need in order to cope and provide the extra support in the home and on the weekends and in the holidays and for their future employment if, if they ever reach that point. Some of them don't. Um, so just something for maybe others listening to this podcast to be aware of. You know, we, um, we as parents, and it's why I kind of made the title plight, I, I sometimes feel like we're just jammed in the middle. We're trying to be the best advocates for our children whilst feeling wholly ill-equipped for this journey and we are stuck with having to follow certain systems and procedures you know we can't just say right that's it <laughs> I'm going off piste <laughs> and in today's world wonderfully the 
actually autistic community themselves are are now being heard and we are having to unlearn a lot of things but we are learning new things as well from the voices of actually autistic children and adults which is absolutely wonderful but we're kind of jammed in the middle we've got we've got this historical treatment coming at us from the professionals and the system and it works like this and you have to do this in this way to now hearing the reality from actually autistics, the guilt that we suffer from that, from things that we didn't realize, that we didn't know, the prof professionals we were led to believe that were totally wrong. And yeah, we do feel guilt and remorse and it's not a good feeling. And, and I just want the actually autistic people out there who are sometimes a bit sort of, you know, harsh on us about the therapies we have supposedly chosen for our children or that all we want to do is just you know cure them and fix them and 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 why we send them to schools that they hated a lot of those things we didn't have an awful lot of choice about and I, I can only apologize on behalf of me and all other parents in in my situation and to myself and to the parents out there now of autistic children in particular I'm begging you to start paying attention to those actual autistic voices and to relearn the language and to take it seriously. If it is important to them, it should be deeply important to us. We have to start to get this right. And, and, and it's changing. And that's a wonderful, wonderful, positive, hopeful, hopeful thing. For the parents out there who, you know, again, maybe I need to, I need to say this to the actual actually autistic community out there as well none of what we are whinging and moaning and complaining about is about our child or in fact the autism it is about the difficulty of getting their needs met and finding the help we and our children need that's all it is that's all it will ever be for the vast majority of us I want to now say before I end off to the parents of autistic children and neurodiverse children out there who happen to be going through a particularly tough time right now. It's okay, as I say in every episode, you're not alone. To those parents whose children are not regulated, who are struggling every single day, multiple times a day, who are perhaps having many meltdowns a day, who are refusing school, who are displaying self-injurious behavior, who cannot sleep properly, who are not well, who are having difficulties with food. Please, please don't underestimate what you are going through and what you are actually coping with. In the ideal world with a working system, there is not a single professional out there who wouldn't be both shocked and appalled at what you are having to deal and cope with day to day and who wouldn't immediately confirm that it is way, way above and beyond what is considered normal or okay for a family. I, I hope you're getting that. I, I hope you know that you should not be having to cope with the levels of stress and anxiety and concern and sleep deprivation and fear for your child and your relationship and your family and your jobs that you currently are because the help is not forthcoming and because you are having to fight so hard for it and wait so long it does not mean that there are people in greater need that you 
than you and that you should be coping better and that your child doesn't need the help. That it, That is, nothing could be more untrue. So please take a moment to acknowledge that you actually are in fact coping with so, so much, so much trauma and emotional damage and and know it, acknowledge it and keep fighting to get that help. If you can afford it, I would highly recommend a private social care assessment. I didn't even know that existed before we were faced with the tribunal. Just the exercise of doing it, you and your husband or partner, even if it's on a screen, and going through that assessment process and answering the questions that are required to be asked of you and to be faced with the truth suddenly of what you actually are coping and how far beyond normal levels it is, is a big moment. It's a big realization and it weirdly in a way helps you both to find the strength that you need to carry on. I'm tempted to go, you are not alone, and (laughs) again and again. But I think I would just say, try to connect. Just focus, focus on your child. Try to connect with them in whatever way you can, whether you are sitting in the opposite corner of the room, silent. If it keeps them calm and they're calm, connect. That's a connection. Just try to connect with your child. Adjust your expectations. Know that this will not last forever. And take it one day at a time. Whatever works for you and your child and your family is the right thing to do. Okay? So right, I hope nobody's got the tissues out now. (laughs) I had hoped to end on a slightly more positive note. And actually I will. I will. Because I listened to a podcast recently. I often refer to this one because it's one of my favorites. It's called Uniquely Human. The two men who host the podcast are absolutely amazing. One is an actually autistic adult himself. The other one is a highly, highly professional doctor consultant in autism. And... One of their most recent episodes is interviewing a Dr. Peter Vermeulen. I will put the details on my show notes. And Peter Vermeulen is a Belgian psychologist who has dedicated 30, 40 years of his career to autism. He is absolutely hilarious. He has got the most wonderful, wonderful sense of humor. And I just implore you to listen to this latest episode. It is absolutely so heartwarming and so uplifting. It is about the predictory mind. It is about something called neuroharmony and his own personalized H-A-P-P-Y, yes, happy program. You have to give it a listen. It's an hour long. It is well, well worth it. Right. That's a lot more positive. I will be back in a couple of weeks. And until then, remember, you are not alone and your child is going to be okay. Okay.